You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. We are continuing today in our series on the book of Ruth. I had somebody ask me about this before the service. I said, yeah, believe it or not, today we're going to be halfway through. So we are cruising here in this short little book, but it's interesting to me that sometimes it's the smallest books that really force you to slow down and you can appreciate so much more when you kind of walk through them slowly. So I hope you've been enjoying this as much as I have. Today we will be in chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, but before I actually read, just to kind of set the context a little bit of what happened last week. So we're in the book of Ruth, and Ruth, at this particular point in the story, she had been out gleaning in the field, and come to find out that she was gleaning in the field of this gentleman named Boaz, our eligible bachelor, right? Boaz is a man of good standing in the community. He's someone who is thought well of, someone who probably has some means, some some money to him, as we see that he has servants working for him out in the field. So Ruth was out there gleaning in the field, and, and gleaning was this kind of a normal practice, and apparently it's still practiced at some places of the world today, where the poor and the foreigners were able to follow behind the reapers and the people gathering up the, uh, the grain, and they were able to collect what was left. And in that way, they were able to still have some food and able to kind of provide for themselves like that. Ruth had been out in the field of Boaz, and she had she'd just gathered this huge harvest. And that's where our text this morning picks up, is Ruth returns to see her mother-in-law, Naomi, with just this huge armful of grain, basically. So this is Ruth chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. She carried it back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley harvest and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. 
Dear Jesus, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. One of the main themes that we see in the book of Ruth is grace. Grace. It's not named in that way, but it's there all over the place in the characters, in the action that we see going on. Grace is all over the place, which is why I kind of titled this whole series Grace for the Vulnerable, right? We see Ruth in her many layers of vulnerability as being a foreigner, as being someone who was likely in, in poverty, open to all sorts of mistreatment and exploitation, and, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, not being in a whole lot better of a situation than that, right? So we talked a lot about God's grace. Now, the thing about grace, this, this little word that we throw around all of the time and, and take for granted, we don't stop to define or to even ask the question, what, what is grace? What does this word mean? Because it's easy to assume that when someone says grace and someone else says grace, we mean the same thing by it. That, you will discover, is not often the case. So I think what would be helpful this morning is if first lay out a definition of what we're talking about with grace. So here it is. I stole this from a so good, it's, it's worth reiterating. I edited it a little bit. Grace is God's love in Christ for undeserving sinners. God's love in Christ for undeserving sinners. Now, in Christ, that little part is crucial. In fact, it's, it's central. And what it tells us is that apart from Christ, grace is not possible. See, people will throw the term grace around and, oh, God will give me, you know, grace to go ahead and, and do all of these good deeds or something like that. But that's not what we're referring to. When we're referring to grace, we're talking about God's love, his attitude toward us because of Jesus and because of what Jesus has done in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Apart from that, there is no grace. So God's grace is what we're talking about here this morning. And I want to emphasize, just to kind of give you an idea, this is, this is where we're headed. This is, some of us like a roadmap to see where we're going with our message this morning. Here it is. We're going to explore God's grace in the book of Ruth. And we're going to learn three things about God's grace. So we're still just scratching the surface here. God's grace is ongoing. It is super abundant. And it is a surprise. Surprising. God's grace is ongoing, it is super abundant, and it is surprising. God's grace is ongoing. This is number one, right? We're good? Okay. <laughs> we have this wonderful picture in the person of Boaz offering grace to Ruth. We learned that last week, but what we learned this week is that Boaz encouraged her to come back again and again and again and again until the end of the harvest season. 
So it wasn't as if Boaz was like, well, I'm glad you had one good day gleaning out in my field. Take what you can and, and go home. No, he, he's saying, look, come back, and not only come back, but I have told my, my young men to protect you and to watch over you, and to, I want to be able to provide for you. So he, he's kind of giving her like an unlimited credit card to the supermarket here. He's saying, come back, come back again and again and again. God's grace is ongoing. Most of us have heard about a gentleman by the name of Martin Luther, and he's famous for a number of reasons, but one of the things that kind of kicked off the Reformation was he pounded these 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. That sounds like a big protest. Like if I walk up to Lauren and Cheryl's place and I pound something on their door, they're going to get angry at me. But back then, it was actually kind of a thing. Like you would do that as a normal way for there to be theological debate. So he has these 95 theses. And here is number one, the very first of the theses that Luther put. He says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he's talking about Matthew 4, 17, Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. The entire life, our entire lives as Christians is to be one of repentance. You see, grace isn't a once and done thing where we go to God and we get forgiveness once and then we're good to go kind of for the rest of our lives. No. Grace is something that is ongoing and that he encourages us to come back to again and again and again. It's not just a, a short kind of temporary one-time event, but it is a way of, of life and, and something that we do because when we repent, which is to say when we turn to God with our sin, he is always going to forgive us. I love what the book of Lamentations says about this. This is Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 23. It goes like this. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Here it is. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's never going to be a morning when you wake up to find that God's grace has abandoned you. To find that God has changed his attitude toward you. His mercies, his grace is new every morning. His mercy and love and grace is ongoing. God's grace is also super abundant. Is that even a word? I don't know. But it encapsulates what I'm trying to talk about here, so I'm going for it. Last week, we, we discussed the gleaning of, of Ruth and Boaz's field. And, and one of the, the things about that is that that was actually an Old Testament practice. It was specifically commanded by God that the Israelites were not supposed to reap everything in their field. They were supposed to leave a, a corner of it. You know, don't reap right up to the edges. Leave a corner of it because part of it, because that's for the foreigners and for the widows and for the resident aliens to come among you and to glean. That was essentially the law. But what Boaz does is so far above and beyond what is required by the law. 
When we, we read through this and we see that not only did Boaz just allow her to glean, he said, no, come to the front of the line. Like if there's going to be all these other people gleaning, I want to give you the best choice. And he commanded his young men to actually protect her because remember, she may have been vulnerable to attack. Foreign woman in a, in a land that's unfamiliar? All sorts of things could happen. Racial slurs, who knows? Would not have been unlikely. The Moabites and the Israelites were not exactly besties. And then in addition to that, Boaz does this really, really amazing thing. Is he, he lets Ruth eat with him. It doesn't sound like it's as big of a deal to us today, but back then, to allow someone to eat with you was to let them into a level of intimacy that was only granted to family, really. So though Ruth was not family, though she was a foreigner, she was not an Israelite, he treated her as such. In fact, Boaz even fed her with his own hand. It explicitly says this in the text. So what we see here is Boaz's grace is not minimal. It's not bottom line. He's not trying to hit a, a quota or a threshold. It's super abundant. When I was growing up, we lived just a few miles from my grandparents' place. I loved it. I loved it. Grandma and Grandpa, they lived on this bluff. We called it a bluff in Minnesota. It was decent size, and we'd go, we'd go sledding and stuff down there. It was, it was actually, a, you know, it wasn't too bad of a deal. But one year, my dad and all of his brothers and sisters got together, and they decided, we're going we're gonna to do a project for Grandma and Grandpa. You know, they're getting a little bit, a little bit older, and so... We know that grandma likes water walking at the pool, so we're going we're gonna to get her and construct for her this thing called an endless pool. Now, an endless pool, the way that it works is it's bigger than a hot tub, and it's a little bit narrower than it is. It's, it's not super wide. It's more long. And it has this current that it pushes out. And what you can do is you can set that speed to whatever you want it, and so you can always, you can just swim against this current. You can do that for hours if you want to. And it, so it's basically like it's like a treadmill for the pool, kind of. And I was thinking about that in relation to grace. This endless supply that, that doesn't end because it doesn't need, it doesn't require more water. The, the endless pool, it has this pump, it pumps it out, and then it comes back again and again and again. And that is very similar to an image that I think is a good picture of God's grace. Is it is this endless supply. It is, it is super abundant. It doesn't stop. It doesn't run out. And we are continually swimming in this endless sea, this endless current of God's gracious love and forgiveness to us on account of Jesus Christ, right? Now, what about this though? Okay, pastor, God is he's love, he's, he's forgiveness, he's, he's gracious, we get that. What about wrath and condemnation? Isn't that a part of who God is too? Isn't that how he operates as well? Read through the Old Testament, you will find that is clearly the case, right? Here's what I think is helpful. I'm going to go theological on you for a second. God's Two ways of operating. Hold on. I don't want to get this wrong. God's two ways 
of operating, God's two ways of working. This is a helpful distinction to make. God's proper work and God's alien work. Let me tell you what I mean by that. God's proper work and God's alien work. So God, in his very nature, in who he is, is love and is grace and is forgiveness and is mercy. That's primary. That's fundamental to God's character. So that's God's proper work. But he also has this side which we call, we refer to as his alien work. Alien meaning, not E.T., but alien meaning like other, kind of foreign. So when God exercises judgment and wrath against our sin, he doesn't initiate that. It comes as a result of our sin. So it's never as if God is out judging and punishing and out to get people solely for the sake of satisfying some weird desire that he has or something. But it's, it's as a result of our sin. And even in God's judgment, in his wrath, and in his calling out our sin, even in, when he does that, that is meant to drive us back to his proper work, which is the gospel, grace, justification, all through Jesus Christ. So I think that can be hopefully a helpful lens to help you kind of process what we're talking about when we refer to God's gracious nature. So Ephesians has a wonderful passage when we're talking about God's superabundance here. Ephesians 3 verses 20 through 21. It goes like this. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more Then all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Him who can do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. Super abundant. Super abundant. And ongoing. You see, The reality is that even the worst of our sins are no match for God's grace. The worst things we have ever done or ever will do, the skeletons in the closet, the words that you said that you didn't want to, the inward attitudes of our heart, none of those can compare to God's grace. God's grace is greater than our sin, as the songwriter tells us. Whenever we come before him and and confess he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. God's grace is ongoing. It's super abundant. And God's grace is surprising. In our story this morning, Ruth was not aware really, of who Boaz was when she was out in his field gleaning. She knew he was a nice guy. She knew that he was providing for her. He did not know, which Naomi reveals, that he was, in fact, this thing called a kinsman redeemer. Your Bibles may translate that differently. 
So here's, here's how, it, how it goes. Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, my, my Bible says, as it turned out. Right? What does, any, does anybody else have another translation? As it turned out? As it happened? Right. It's almost as if the author of this book is kind of winking at us. He's like, you know what I'm really, you know what I really mean. You know what I'm talking about. You know God has been at work to drive this whole situation. It wasn't an accident that Ruth was put in Boaz's field. God is behind all of that. He is hidden and he is bringing all of these gifts to Ruth in very compelling and surprising ways. And it's not until later on here in our passage for this morning that we discover that he is, in fact, a close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers, is what Naomi tells Ruth in chapter 20. Now, this may not sound like anything, but a guardian redeemer, in fact, was a very specific role in the Old Testament. The guardian redeemer had a number of different jobs. So if somebody in the family, this is a very communal society, if somebody in the family went bankrupt, and they lost the property. The job of the kinsman redeemer was to pay the money back in order to reclaim that land so that it did stick in the family. Another duty of the guardian redeemer was if someone had to sell themselves into uh, servanthood because they couldn't pay a debt something. The guardian redeemer's job was to, if they were able, pay the sum to free this person in order to buy back this family member's freedom. And there's also this unique thing where they were known as the, the, the redeemer of, the avenger of blood, where the, uh, the kinsman redeemer could redeem, uh, could actually go out and, and take vengeance on a murdered loved one. So that's a topic for another day, really interesting. But just so we're aware, the, the redeemer, this guardian redeemer here, is a real thing, and it was. It's. It's. It has. It comes with it specific duties and specific roles. And we see here Naomi. And do you remember how Naomi was when we left her last? I mean, she's talking about changing her name. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and came back empty. Like, she, she, she kind of gives it to God with both barrels, right? We, we heard that. We, we hear this anger and this, this frustration at, at God. But then, surprisingly, we discover that because Ruth was in this field and Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, now we see Naomi's frustration and anger turned to joy. And there's this beautiful reversal that happens. And it comes about in a very surprising way, right? I think, though, one of the biggest surprises here, as I was reflecting on this, is Boaz. Because who or, and what is Boaz doing? Boaz is a small-town farmer, right? Bethlehem was not a thriving metropolis. He was a small-town farmer, Doing what? Harvesting his food, obeying God's law. 
reaping, planting, sowing. Nobody from the outside would look at this and be like, wow, he's doing mighty works for the Lord. You see, it's through these seemingly mundane, some would say normal or unimportant kind of tasks that often get overlooked that God uses to bring about his grace. And in fact, through Boaz, as we will see at the end of Ruth, God is working out the salvation of all believers. Incredible. Incredible. Through oxen and seeds and a, and a plow. Because that's how God operates in these very surprising ways. So just to review, God's grace is ongoing, it is super abundant, and it is surprising. My challenge for you this week, I want to end with a challenge. I don't always do this. I even often do this. My challenge to you to think about the world that we live in. We live in a world that is devoid of grace, that is devoid of forgiveness. Like those aren't things that we want to even think about or talk about. And in fact, it's interesting when you'll see a public display of forgiveness, there's often a backlash against it. So grace and forgiveness are something that we all desperately need, and yet in the world around us, it's just not there. My challenge to you is to look around you this week and see what is one situation, one person where grace is needed. To keep our eyes open and to ask God to help us to to see that, and then when we do see that, to show us how to bring grace to bear and to be an ambassador for God's grace. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.